brand new sound for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was a son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, now on 77 WABC, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Batasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, i got to tell you, I was speaking at uh, a, an event, and someone came over to me and said, I know the voice. I know the voice. And I said, well, did you like what I said? He said, no, I did. I said, well, I'm the rabbi. And I thought to myself, <laughs> if he didn't, I was going to say, I'm the reverend. Of course. <laughs> so it's of good. course. So it's, good to have, it's good to have that kind of options. Yeah. It's good to have options. I know. <laughs> so I, I just want to I want to thank you because with all that's going on in the world this week, WABC, John Katsimatidis, and Margot Katsimatidis uh, put together an uh, Israel Independence Day celebration ABC. It's the first time I remember a station devoting an entire day to Israel Independence, but you were part of that. And, you know, we were on the air, and we spoke of the need to stand with the other and for the other when the other is under attack. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at anti-Semitism, it's not just a Jewish problem. It's it's a human problem. If, you know, racism, anti-black, it's a human problem. And anybody who's under attack needs the support of others. You've stood there with us uh, many, many times. We've stood with you many, many times. That's the best answer is that kind of common ground, common voice. Yeah, I, yeah, and, and you know, I, I will tell you, Rabbi, and I'll say this on uh, public radio, I've taken heat for my relationship with the Jewish community. There are African Americans who are bothered by that. And, you know, I, I, I tell them I don't care. I could care less. Uh, <laughs> I am who I am, and I understand that we have to work together. That's, that's a reality. And the worst thing I want to see is for those of us who are in the same boat as minorities within a dominant society, that we turn on each other. We should be helping each other walking together. That's how the civil rights movement was shaped and fashioned, and that's how we got to where we are today. And given our respective pain throughout history, and we're not going to compare it, you know, but we both have suffered at the hands of others. The fact that we point an accusatory finger at the other uh, and say, how dare you be close with the other, to me is is a shameful moment. So, but you know what? You reach a point in life where you, if you're comfortable with yourself, others are comfortable with you. And if, if they don't like us for what we do, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not going to compromise my identity to satisfy someone who doesn't like me for who I am, what I believe in. Uh, because, you know, person, again, today won't like me, tomorrow won't like you. Uh, but you have to like yourself. That ultimately you have to look in that mirror and say, I, I am... Uh, I feel good. I am happy with who I who I see in that mirror for what that person stands for. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say, you know, a lot of my relationship with the state of Israel and the Jewish people is steeped in my faith. It's a Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. faith. I didn't truncate uh, the first part, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a reality. But this week, 
We celebrate 73 years. May 14, 1948, mm-hmm. 4 p.m. Who, right. who has a date and, and actually time <laughs> of day that a nation is born? How, how do you do that? Well, huh? it was long before I was born, so but I, but I did. Uh, <laughs> you know. But you know what? It was a historic moment because remember where we were. And I, I mentioned this to you as a child of survivors. Uh, my parents never thought that one day they would actually see a state of Israel. I remember taking my my mom to Israel, and, you know, she was in tears. Uh, She said, I I only wish Israel had been there years ago. Maybe we wouldn't have uh, suffered as as much. Uh, We would have had a defender. So good that we can celebrate and look forward to many more celebrations of life. But when you celebrate with others who who come from different backgrounds and beliefs, it heightens uh, the, uh, the beauty of the moment. Well, I think it does. And there's a lot of uh, history around, you know, the birthing of the nation of Israel, the state of Israel, uh, how it affected the, the Middle East and Arab countries and, and what went on. But, you know, I, I believe that uh, the Jewish people have a right to exist. I believe the state of Israel has a right to exist. Um, you know, you could believe otherwise, but that's that's where A.R. Bernard stands. Well, on. and that's why and that's why we welcome you as a member of the family. That's why, <laughs> you know, you are beloved in our community. Today we have a, we always have a special guest, but today perhaps a little more special because of what we're going through in our country. Uh, yeah. We have the police commissioner, the 44th police commissioner, of the city of New York, Dermot Shea, uh, to talk about, uh, you know, the events of our day and its impact on, on life here in the city. Uh, and one of the things about him, you know, he speaks openly and honestly. Uh, it's not about being politically correct. It's about being morally correct uh, in his view. So much to discuss, and we look forward to it. And we'll be back with more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we are honored to have with us today the 44th Police Commissioner of New York City, uh, the Honorable Dermot Shea. And I have to tell you, Commissioner Shea, what's very revealing is I saw a picture of you and the 43rd Police Commissioner. The smile that was on his face as you were being sworn in <laughs> spoke volumes to me. You know, yep. what were his last words to you? <laughs> I, I don't think he even waited for last words. He just ran out the door. He knew something I didn't know. Uh, well, well, obviously, it's, look, it's challenging, but as I've said to you many times, you're a leader who listens. And to me, that's, you know, the consummate leader. You listen to others, but uh, at the same time, you're able to lead. Let's talk about Minneapolis, because that's on everybody's mind, Brooklyn Center. Looking at it through your lens, what do you say? Well, the first thing you think about is is the loss of life. That's what I think of first. And uh, I don't really have any inside information on this one. I certainly, you know, from the law enforcement world, and I know how we train here, but I see that body camera just like you do and, and react probably the same way. It's just you, you almost just take a step back and re- uh, you know, in horror, what you see. It's just, that's what I think of first and foremost. And, you know, it's hard to talk about a mistake when you're talking about and the consequences are a human life is lost. I can only imagine that that was a mistake that was made. And, and I just feel terrible for the whole incident. That's the honest truth. Um, 
you know, certainly that family you have to think of first that's lost a loved one. And I'm being brutally honest here. I also think about the officer that probably uh, I don't know really anything about her other than I read that she was a 26-year veteran. Maybe I, I imagine her with a family and went to work that day, and her life is upside down now. And, uh, you know, we, we train, I'll tell you, extensively um, because we know it's a possibility. Uh, we put some things in place at our range, and, and I think every cop just shudders in fear when they see that video because God forbid that I, no one wants that to happen. That's just the honest truth. No one wants that to happen. Commissioner, you know, people are going to be suspicious immediately and say, yeah, you, you, you thought you were pulling your, your taser. We, we've heard that before. We've seen that before. How, how does that work? Where is the taser in relationship to the person, the, the officer's firearm? And how are they trained? How, how, do you, how do you get that confused, especially a 26-year veteran? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you how you get it confused. Um, I do tell you, though, I, I can tell you, though, what we do, and I could tell you that the unknown is when you're thrust into a situation and now struggling with somebody in adrenaline. But I'm right-handed, uh, Reverend, so I'm right-handed, so my holster when I was a police officer was on my right side attached to my gun belt. That's how we train hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rounds uh, uh, practiced at the range, and you start to do it in your sleep, pulling the gun, firing, we practice in low light. We practice with our off hand. God forbid you're shot and you can't draw with your dominant hand. But you just it's muscle memory, and you're used to drawing your firearm with your strong hand from the side that you are, in my case, a right hand. When we instituted tasers, as other departments do, we purposefully put it attached to the gun belt or on the leg on the opposite side. So that would be you carry both at the same time, and that's the conundrum here. Um, you carry it on your non-dominant side, and then we purposefully train that when you pull it, you don't pull it with your dominant hand and across reaching across your body. You use your weak hand to pull it, um, and and then you put in training and you observe and and you review incidents and if anything happens that you don't like, but and then muscle memory over time hopefully takes over. Um, I don't know what happened in this. I guess it'll play out now. And I, I, I saw the video like you did. Um, I don't think you faked that reaction, but that's going to be now in the courts. And and the tragedy is ultimately like it's going to, um, you know, you have one loss of life and you have and her to deal with the consequences. And, and um, just hopefully calmer heads prevail. And um, unfortunately, nothing's going to nothing's going to bring that young man back. Yeah. I appreciate you breaking it down like that. I'm sorry, Rabbi, because you do. You, you, you train one way, then you add another element that's, uh, you know, almost like a firearm and your brain has to switch sides. Uh, and, and then in any given situation, the adrenaline's running. And it's possible that that doesn't function right, correct? Well, well, that's the um, that's the X factor here. That you you know we train for lots of things, and then unfortunately that's why we have discipline because people do some different things sometimes, and we review instances whether it's you know think of a vehicle pursuit or struggling with an armed perpetrator or, or using deadly physical force with a firearm. Um, you train, but but sometimes life gets in the way of that, and in in circumstances where you're struggling and, and multiple people, and you know you. you Listen, I, I don't want to 
you know, what was going through people's minds. I don't know what they knew at that exact moment in time. I, we know a lot now. I don't know what they knew at that exact moment in time. Um, and then are you worried about something else? But, uh, you know, I, from what I saw in the video, you're hearing taser, 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 and then the taser wasn't drawn. So uh, you can you can make some assumptions, and maybe that's improper. But adrenaline certainly is the X factor to me where – as much as you plan to do something, sometimes um, the reality is things get set up very quickly and you react differently. So, Commissioner, yeah. you know, we have this in the, in the world of religion. When, when there are those who do that which is wrong, we all get tarnished. We all get blamed. They look at religion and say, you see, you're all the same. What do you do here? Uh, Minneapolis is a thousand miles away or so from uh, New York City. You've made some changes. How do you address people who simply look to uh, inculpate an entire police department everywhere? There's no distinctions made. And that's the reality of the world that we live in. Um, you know, I, we could have a discussion about, well, George Floyd happened in Minneapolis. But you know what? Uh, Eric Garner happened in New York City, right? So mm-hmm. it's we've learned that in our industry and in law enforcement, um, we are all standing together or shouldering the, the, the glory or the blame together, too. Uh, and, and I think the world has shrunk, and we all kind of realize that, whether it's on the law enforcement side or the community side, and that kind of blends together. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it leads to a discussion, Rabbi, I think about, you know, trust, and that's why relationships and communication is so important. Um, Beforehand, and, and this is something that we are always looking to improve, build upon. Um, sometimes, you know, people change, but this is always in our world such a critical factor um, that you want to have these relationships with people. And sometimes that's all the difference when when there is an incident that happens. Maybe it's even in your city but that people will react a little differently because of the relationships and because of the trust that, well, something wrong might have happened here, but I have faith that it's going to be handled properly or people will be held accountable or whatever the circumstances are. But I, I think that a lot of what you're seeing now is is the result of, you know, whether you, I, I don't think it's years. I think it's decades, uh, to say the least, of just built up, lack of trust, particularly in minority neighborhoods, about policing and treated a certain way and and a feeling that, you know, people will not be held accountable. And, and that, that is um, a lot to overcome. But I could tell you that uh, it's it's really at the front of our mind and it's something that we are working consciously at uh, every single day. And um, we have more work to do. Uh, Commissioner, you and I have spoken on occasions, and I noticed that you are in tune to the history of policing in New York City. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, the cop on the beat uh, just happened to be white. There's another black cop and a Latino cop. Uh, I lived in Bed-Stuyvesant. I lived in Bushwick. But they knew our names. I mean, we knew who the officer was. We interacted with them. Uh, it was just a, a, a different relationship between the community and the police. We had gangs back then in the 60s, early 70s. Uh, what happened? You know, when did things change? Is there any indication? No, oh, Lord. Um, great question, Reverend. Uh, 
you know, policing changes. I think back as a kid growing up in Queens, um, never really, I was a middle-class neighborhood, Sunnyside. You never really saw the police. I guess I was fortunate that it wasn't a high-crime area. It wasn't a rich area, but it was just, you know, immigrant, working class, um, and, and it was, we were lucky there wasn't a lot of crime. But that's not the case everywhere, and, and in what I hear all over the city is in neighborhoods where there were, were police, they loved and they respected the relationship. You know, the police officer that knew the little kid wasn't home and would bring the kid home to the, the mom that lived, you know, whether it was a single mother or or the dad is at work and bringing the kid home to mom. I hear that those stories every day still. To, and people yearn for that time. A lot has yeah. changed. Um, you know, we, we, we are committed to getting it right. And what I mean by that is we've had a metamorphosis in, in New York City of how to police. We've gone from what you described and there was crime back then to, you know, uh, CPOP in the early 1990s to moving to like, you know, a different kind of policing with uh, in the mid 90s and on. But then, you know. The pendulum, that pendulum I often refer to swinging and getting, you know, not getting a little out of balance and, and too much enforcement. Um, and we're always kind of trying in my world to bring it back to a middle place where we get crime down, but we do it the right way. And, and you know, we, we, we set off on a journey a number of years ago here. Uh, Jimmy O'Neill, you know, Rodney Harrison, Terry Monahan, myself, Bill Bratton was here with neighborhood policing. And, mm -hmm. and we think that that is really the way to go where we, we free cops up. We allow them to solve problems, give them discretion, develop relationships with NCOs and community affairs and assigning cops to the same area. Every It's just it's very difficult right now. It, it, I'll be honest, you need a lot of resources to do that. And right now we're, we're somewhat challenged. But the, the overall philosophy we're 100 percent committed to. We still are. We still have NCOs. We have we added youth coordination officers that are assigned to the same precincts just working with kids. In trouble kids, never in trouble kids, just again, trying to develop those relationships. Um, the, the commitment to the MYPD, I could tell you, is 100% to strengthening those relationships. Mm. Um, what we need to do, where, where we're not there yet, is for that philosophy to really permeate throughout the police department. Um, mm. and, and that remains a challenge. Um, but that's something that we're committed to and striving to get better at every day. Um, but we also don't want to lose sight of crime. You know, you've heard me talk a number of times about this, uh, Rabbi and Reverend. Like, we also have to keep people safe. So balance and everything is really what we're looking for. Yeah, let me ask you this. First of all, when I grew up in Massachusetts, police didn't just know your name. They knew the family background. They knew different aspects of your life. Uh, they really were members of the extended family, and that meant so much. So one of the questions that is very troubling, when an officer sees another officer do something inappropriate, something wrong, why isn't there more of an attempt to stop the officer? I know that you know in Buffalo uh, there was one officer who tried to uh, stop the officer, and she lost her job. She was just reinstated. Yeah. But what is it that, you know, we always tell people, you see something, say something, do something, you know it's wrong, and yet there isn't this extra step of trying to put it to a halt. 
Yeah, I, I think that's culture, and, and I think it's not um, just policing that has that. I think you see that in, in often some cultures, um, but I'm only worried about this one. We're aware of that, um, certainly. I will say some positives, though. Like when you look at it, there was an incident last summer on Rockaway Beach where somebody, uh, at the end of the story is they, they put somebody in what appears to be a chokehold. You immediately saw a cop step in and, and put their hand on the cop and say, no, don't do that. That may not be exactly the same. That's something that we're training for, but it, it's still very good to see that. Um, you know, it's referred to commonly as the blue wall of silence, right? Mm -hmm. What you don't right. hear about is we arrested, you know, we arrested a female police officer just this week for tarnishing her badge, for selling drugs. You don't hear about all the complaints that come into our Internal Affairs Bureau, and the vast majority of them are coming in from other cops. So, you know, we have systems in place for anonymous reporting. You have to report corruption in the NYPD, but we allow our officers to do it anonymously, too, because, it, frankly, we're aware that sometimes there is a stigma attached to it. And at the bottom line, we want to get the information. I can tell you that I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it exists. But I also think that, you know, cops don't want to work with bad cops. Um, so whether it's through training, whether it's through policies, um, you know, when you talk about the body cameras that we've instituted, you know, we hear a lot about bad cops. But I just I also want to remind people how much good work mm -hmm. goes on every day by men and women. And when you look at the vast majority of officers, it, it's, it's, it's very I know people will debate this and bad apples, but it is a vast majority. Even when you look at the civilian complaint review board's own statistics and you look at the amount of officers that have a substantial civilian complaint in their history it's a very small number so there's some there's a lot of good to go with but yeah i'm not disagreeing with you we we, we just started a new program you know I'll, I'll keep talking unless you want to jump in but we just oh, well, I, I, I want to ask you about the recruiting program that you're implementing now to try to be more sensitive to the context in which uh, policing is done in these communities yep yeah we, we so, think we're so thinking we think, we're thinking of applying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you could pass the age requirement no much, but yeah, there is a wall you have to get over, Rabbi. <laughs> you can't jump off tourists. You have to actually get over the wall. <laughs> so, so. Rene Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Commissioner, what are you doing to change recruiting practices? Who are you targeting? How? Yeah, we, well, right now, and thanks for the question, uh, April 7th to April 27th, so we have 12 days left. We need everyone to spread the word. We've been doing it on Instagram. We've been doing it in person. We've been doing it through recruitment drives. We've been doing it through word of mouth. We've asked members of the clergy to spread some word. With a lot of positive um, and then I still hear, hey, you, you didn't do a good enough job. You didn't get this word out enough. So all of that is true. But I could tell you that since the beginning of this year, we've targeted this time period to really go full blast. So starting April 7th, people started signing up. The first 
five days, I could tell you that we are above the average of where we normally are in in uh, people of color signing up. I think when this is all said and done, we're going to be transparent and we're going to tell everyone, hey, here's how we did. And hopefully I have really good news to tell people that we've moved the needle. Um, I could tell you that was the challenge I, I made to all of my people that have been working on this for months, that this is, you know, something we heard about all over the city. We are already an incredibly diverse police department, but this is the first test in a couple of years. And whatever we normally do, let's really try to move the needle right now. So we've been out there. We've been advocating. I just need everyone that may be listening right now to know if it's you, your son, your daughter, your nephew, your grandson, whoever it is, even if you're not sure of what you want to do. Keep your options open. Even if you're not sure of even law enforcement, I could try to sell you on that on another day, but it's an incredible profession. Keep your options open. There's a test in June, but you can't take that test in June unless you sign up right now, only for 12 more days. Go to nypdrecruit.com, and you'll have a chance to really impact people's lives, give back, work in amazing communities throughout New York City. Uh, and, and it's just a phenomenal job. You know, Commissioner, you know, Commissioner for you to say that, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I'm cutting you off, but I'm just thinking because I have a grandson. See that, who, see that, Commissioner? See what happens to me? I, I have a grandson. You see who's victimized. I, come on. I, I have a grandson who's going into law enforcement, and, and he, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, we can sit on the sidelines and complain about the system, criticize the system, but how about getting into the system to affect change? And I was so proud of him to hear him yep. say that and understand that. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take us getting into the system. I, I'm a product of the 60s, a baby boomer. And we were anti-establishment, anti-systems. And most of us now are working within the system, effecting change and doing good. Well, you, you look at the top of the NYPD, too, and you look at, like, Ben Tucker grew up in, in uh, Bed-Stuy in housing developments. I mean, I can't, I can't name a person I'm more impressed by than Ben Tucker, uh, a, fr- a friend and, and a tremendous colleague. The chief of department, Rodney Harrison, I mean, his future is extremely bright. Grew up in Queens in Rochdale Village. Um, has the respect of everyone on this department. Comes from a beautiful family. I mean, you look at the first female chief of patrol, Juanita Holmes, Jeff mm-hmm. Madry. There's a lot of, you know, it, that's why it, when I was naming some of the people that I put in key positions, too, it's important for people to have role models. When you think of, you know, Fausto Pachardo, when you think of, you know, and I can go on and on, and Fausto uh, decided to retire, but I've been very conscious of that. And and they, every name I said, uh, didn't get that position because of the color of their skin. They got it because the, the uh, quality of their work and what's in their heart, and they are amazing people. Um, but I'm also very conscious of diversity, and they have earned where they've gotten to. And I think they're tremendous role models for the people of New York City that uh, may look at the police department in a different light. What we're trying to say is, as you said, Reverend, if you see something you don't like, then be the change. What better yeah. place to affect okay. change than from the inside? You know, one of the yeah. things that comes across, Commissioner, and I see this in so many other areas, if all you know about a subject is what you read in the headlines of the first two or three pages of certain papers, you don't know the subject. 
and I, I look at what you've done, the many meetings that we've all had with you. You've, meet, you've met, I think, with more community groups uh, than anybody I, I've come across over the years. Talk about some of the other changes you made. The NYPD today ha- has really been transformed in many ways by your leadership and those around you. But you wouldn't know that if you just pick up a paper, read page one, two, three, and put it down. Yeah, that's that's true, and it's sad, and and that's what sometimes sells papers. And it's uh, Rabbi, it's such a difficult time right now because uh, I could tell you that we wake up and go to sleep every night worrying about also crime and conditions in the city, and that's a whole nother story. But um, this year really has been taken over by the events of Minneapolis last year, and when you look at everything that has happened, you know we've made a lot of uh, changes here in the police department. Um, whether you're talking about uh, appointments and, and diversity or discipline. I mean, we've done so much on discipline regarding uh, we've done so much on hiring and appointing people where now we're about to appoint. Uh, I met with Rodney yesterday, uh, I think four precinct commanders. We're going to be having precinct commander applicants and meeting with community uh, leaders beforehand and almost doing like an interview process where the community has a stake in people that are being assigned to the NYPD precincts. I mean, that is unheard of, but we thought it was important to do. And I laughed because I said, listen, when you become a precinct commander, you are married to that community anyway. Why not start the marriage a little earlier so that they know what they're getting into? And, and, you know, whether you talk about discipline, the body cameras, uh, posting disciplinary records online. There's just so much change that has been going on. When you walk into an NYPD precinct today, I'm very proud of this. I think, honestly, we're probably a couple years away from really taking hold because it does take time. But I I started it last September with uh, Juanita Holmes. You walk into a precinct today, you can scan something on the wall and then do a survey. How were you treated by the NYPD today? Where should we make improvements? How long did you have to wait? What could we do better? We're trying to change the culture to make it almost as if the people coming in, the crime victims, the people that live in the community that are asking questions, uh, as as if they're walking into, uh, you know, the gap, I'll date myself, in the 1990s and they're buying a pair of jeans. They are our customers. How do we how do we serve them better? So whether it's customer service or internal appointments or discipline or assignments, you know, there is a lot of good, positive change going on. Um, it's it's been overshadowed this year. You can understand why with with covid and the George Floyd murder. But. Um, we just got to stay the course. We got to continue to build the relationships and putting the work in. And we're going to come out of this and we're going to be stronger for it. Well said. Uh, Commissioner, the city council has made sweeping police reforms. How is it navigating for you as a commissioner, navigating the, the politics of all of this stuff? I because will not miss wanna, when I could, leave. <laughs> <laughs> you're not leaving. <laughs> you know, you can have the best of intentions and everything works against well, you. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's just. Uh, politics are politics. Probably, you know, if, if I was going to judge myself, uh, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, that I, I was good at. And there was probably some things I was bad at. And I probably could have done a better job many times uh, on the political front. But it's something that you just have to be aware of. And it comes down, I think, to building relationships. And, and here's the key, finding common ground. 
Let me. I, I think that's the key. And how do you how do you take opposite positions and and a problem that exists and create a win for multiple people? And I think that uh, you know we're in such a a polarizing time. Uh, you know, the presidential election, it feels like it never ended. It's still going on. It's time for this is, you know, Democrats, Republicans. Can we just be New Yorkers and try to move forward and find common ground? And I think if the more people that come to that middle ground, I think we'll all be better for it. You know, one of the you say that, Commissioner. Uh, sorry again, Rabbi. You know, I say that, Commissioner. I think that the you know our politicians in Washington D.C. is is more racially and politically divided than we the people. I mean, you know, Rabbi and I interact with a lot of people, and you know, it's not the kind of extremes that's being portrayed or spun by the media. So I think we really got to pray for our elected officials, Rabbi. What do you think? Not only that, but I got—I got to tell you, uh, when you talk to people in high crime areas, as the commissioner knows, they want to see police. They feel much better. You go to a subway platform, you want to see police. Uh, and then when you read papers and you see how people have been arrested and released right away, you know, commissioner, all I have to say to you is two words: bail reform. You know, uh, it, it's maddening uh, to see some of those rap sheets and committing crimes again and then again. And yeah, around and the let, street. Me, let me just say that because I think this is important, too. We had gotten New York City to a point that was the envy of the entire country just two years ago by cutting incarceration so drastically and having incredibly low crime levels. That is by far the most frustrating thing from our point of view. Um, You know, I don't want people to hear, oh, my gosh, the police commissioner is against bail reform. We are supportive of all criminal justice reform, but it's got to be done intelligently with public safety in mind and giving people second chances. I I don't think it's one or the other. I think we can easily do both. But right now, uh, Rabbi, you you said it. I mean, it's just what what is happening right now is we got to find common ground because we can get both. Um, But we can't have the status quo right now where people are just running around with no consequences and guns. That's that's not good for little kids trying to be raised in communities and now entering gangs and stuff. So uh, we're we're 100 percent for reform and giving second chances and people being paroled and turning their lives around. We were so close to perfection a couple of years ago. We just got to get back on that mm-hmm. path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Commissioner Dermot Shea, uh, I have to say, I become a great admirer. Uh, the Reverend and I talk about you. We don't just pray for you. Uh, we really thank you. Uh, because you've engaged the faith communities uh, so much over the years. We've been together at so many sessions, uh, and for you, the word good is not good enough. It's got to be better, uh, and, I, and I think we, we need to be grateful uh, and look to work together so we get to that better position. Uh, if Absolutely. We, if we get stopped, Rev, if we, you and I get stopped and we show a picture of Commissioner Shea, you think they'll help us? Well, if you, if you give me your photo, I'm sure they'll, they'll help me out. Yeah, I don't know. But, but let, me, let me say something else about Commissioner, which I respect uh, uh, tremendously. He will take the heat 
if he disagrees with something, uh, he'll take the heat. I, I, I love that, you know, because so many don't want to take the heat. They try to avoid it. Uh, so they really won't say what's on their mind. They'll pretend to agree with everything. Mm. And yet you have expressed fundamental disagreement with some of the things that have come uh, across your desk. And I, and I have to respect that, Commissioner. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, I, I just want to say to both of you, uh, very much. Uh, thankful for the, you know, the support, the encouragement, the advice at times. And, and we, I'm sure, haven't always agreed either, but uh, really appreciative of the support that uh, you have given. It's just the one thing that's sticking in my craw, Rabbi, is this fire department thing. you got to come over. To- <laughs> uh, you know, you got to talk to my agent. you got to make it right for me. By the way, let me also say, and I know Rev agrees with me, you are, we are blessed to have Chauncey Parker. Uh, oh, my goodness. He, is, oh, yeah, he yeah. is a very special human being, uh, and we speak often. And, you know, his his line is, this is the moment. And he's right. This yes. is the moment when we can make a difference, uh, but only if we do it together. Well, Chauncey has been diligently working behind the scenes, as, as you know, uh, Reverend and Rabbi, and uh, for months and months. And you're going to start to see some of the fruits of his labor as early as next month, right into the summer in terms of behind the scenes, pushing money into communities that really need it, activating spaces, having youth centers open up for kids. There's a lot of good news that's going to be good. coming by, hopefully starting next month right into July, because the, the, the kids in the communities of this city could use some good news. Right. Rev, excellent. Rev, excellent. you know, said when you arrive in the next world, one of the first questions will be, did you make a difference in this world? I think you agree that uh, Commissioner Dermot Shea, can answer affirmatively, uh, has made a major difference and continues to do so. So thank you. And no look doubt. forward, look no forward doubt. to sharing uh, some celebrations of life with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, thank much, you so much, Commissioner. All right. God bless. Uh, yep. Bye bye. And we'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC of the Rev and, and the Rabbi. Rabbi. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Great interview, Rabbi. You know, Rev, I once said that uh, when was uh, Solomon asked, what would you like as a ruler? What, what's the most important quality? He said, I want a listening heart. And I think Dermot Shea is blessed with that listening heart. Uh, you know, he takes a lot of heat. When you're the police commissioner, especially during this time, uh, you're, I think you're uh, held to a standard that is almost, that is inhuman. I don't think anybody could pass that standard, <laughs> right? But he, he strives, strives to improve, listens, learns, and, and makes decisions that may not be popular with everyone, but at least he acts out of principle. And I respect that. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I like the fact that he's comfortable in his own skin yep. and he is willing, like you said, to take the heat, uh, express when he disagrees and open to discussion to maybe change his views. Uh, and I think that's so important. And every interaction that I've had with him and you and I have had with him, uh, he's been consistent with that. You know, we live at a time where. Not only am I right and you're wrong, but you're wrong and you're an idiot to go, uh, you know, with it. Uh, and he always, I, I'm, I'm always taken by the fact that we sit through these sessions 
that he listens carefully and will say, look, I agree with some of that. I don't agree with some of that. Here's where I think. But he doesn't put down the other person. You know, he says, all right, this is your position. This is my position. But he doesn't denigrate a person who thinks differently. If only we could take that spirit and spread it, you know, in in, in the heads and hearts of many people. Because it's just sad today. And especially with social media, you can put down people instantly. You don't have to have the facts on your side. You just use language that you think is offensive and people buy into it. They love it. The more you offend someone, the more you attack someone, the stronger you look in their eyes. It's unfortunate that that's our value system, you know. Um, And, of course, the media takes it and and spins it uh, into melodrama uh, and at the expense of the facts about people and their character. So you've got to be strong. And I, I will say, you know, in the interview he talked about the, the, the first two years and how two years ago we were on a track that was setting an example for the rest of the country. You never know what's going to happen at any yeah, given time. Yeah. Who knew about COVID? Who knew about the things that we would be facing right now with George Floyd and some of these other issues that would come back to affect us here, miles from, from, from Minnesota? You know what I mean? Uh, and here, you never know. Yeah. And then, then you got to rebuild. After, after you get so far, I, I can I can feel the frustration. You get so far doing so much good, and then it's like it's two steps back. It's, you know? Yeah, it said King David had that ring on the words where this will pass in Hebrew gumze yavor. This shall pass, which means is when you're when you're up there, you know, celebrating, this will pass. There's going to be a yeah. different time, and when you're in a difficult time, this too shall pass. Uh, but you have to have that two kinds of strength. Of course, you need physical strength, but you have to have that inner spiritual strength. Uh, as you said before, you have to believe in your position uh, because only then can you withstand some of the attacks that are uh, thrown your way because you believe it's the right thing. You can argue it, but you're not doing it just to satisfy uh, you know, a popularity poll. You're satisfying a principle poll, yeah. and that's, the mo- yeah. that's more important. All right. Very good. Hope we, uh, I hope we have him around for a while. I, 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 re- I really enjoy the relationship we share with him. Yeah, and it's been fruitful. We've had community meetings, yeah, yeah. strategizing, and he really wants input from the community. You know, he wants to know, you know, what do you think? I may not agree with it. We may agree. We may find common ground. But at least, like you said, he's listening. Absolutely. Great show. All right. Next week. We'll be back with more of the dynamic duo. The, the Rev, Rev and the Rabbi. There it is. God bless.